Hello and welcome to CityWare Selector podcast and joining me today is Gary Potter, co-head of multi-manager business at BMO Asset Management. Gary, thank you for joining us today. Welcome. There are other multi-manager businesses out there. What do you think is your unique DNA? How do you compare with others and what's your uh, edge, so to say? Um, I think the first thing to say is is experience. I mean, as I've done before, I've done 39 years now. Um, I've seen the Asian debt crisis, the, the exit from the ERM, uh, when the Chancellor, Norman Lamont, had to, what well, was in difficult position. Uh, Russian debt crisis, um, millennium bug, various recessions, value to growth, growth to value, um, those strains of viruses, the Greek debt crisis, the global financial crisis, the bailouts, the support, the support from central bank, I've seen pretty much all that there can be thrown at markets. And I would say that those sort of, the experiences is one thing. I think the longevity of our team as well uh, is quite important, 23 years together as a team. And I think the most fundamental thing I'd like to say is that there's a whole new breed of uh, what we call multi-asset solutions. And we're a solutions provider. But we're just trying to diversify assets because diversification is a good thing to do. Uh, we know that for a fact. Um, but the fundamental and critical difference is, I think, is people like us, we build our portfolios from a bottom-up perspective. We find outstanding managers, let them do their job over time. We don't try too much to judge and build our portfolios from a top-down basis because there's so many events, frankly, that get in the way. We, we're not experts. We'd rather use our time on those things we have more control on, and that is finding those managers, interviewing them, re-interviewing them, understanding the capacity of those funds, because capacity, let me tell you, is a big uh, influencer on the ability of that manager to perform. Mm -hmm. Speaking about capacity, how much is too much in terms of assets that the fund manager runs? That rather depends, and I think you've picked up on a good point there, because it's not just how big is that fund, it's how much does the manager in that company with his or her team run? And I often too many analysis, too much analysis is done on, well, how big's the fund? Um, I, examples where a fund might be quite small, but the manager has 20 other institutional mandates and the total assets is 15 billion. That's a negative for us. Um, rather, you might find a manager has a one billion pound portfolio, but that's all that they do. And therefore, that's much better, in our view, to pick on something like that. I think capacity is, is a moving target. Capacity is also um, specific to an asset class. So clearly, you know, in a, a large global equity mandate, you might be able to run 10 billion, reasonably so, to generate the performance. And it's ultimately the impact on performance ability that we're looking for. Uh, but of course, if it's UK small cap or micro cap, then the figure becomes much, much smaller. And I think one of the biggest challenges for this industry is to correctly assess how much a manager is able to run to generate the performance that they used to when they were doing really well, but with a much smaller portfolio. Of course, we all judge results in the asset management world by the size of the assets that we run. That is the wrong way of judging good or bad performance. 
Yeah, well, and especially bigger funds usually get bigger headlines and it's quite hard to detach yourself from this kind of the size that matters. But that, that size issue is getting worse because what we are seeing, either through consolidation in the industry, fund management companies merging together, or we're seeing in, on behalf of the buyers of those strategies or solutions, we're seeing aggregation um, in a large way in the UK. So financial advisory businesses are being bought up, aggregated into sort of uh, nationals and networks who are all feeding off buy lists. And those self-same buy lists, in which there's two or three major providers, are all buying the same funds. And quite frankly, they're destined for mediocrity. You have to do something different. So how to select uh, the right managers? Well, at least, what's your winning formula in that? First and foremost, um, identify, you've got to look at performance. You've got to look at where they've come from, what their experience is. But you shouldn't exclude new ideas. Uh, if a new manager is not known or it's a new fund, a lot of peers will exclude those managers for a period of three years or whatever until there's a three or five year track record or there's a certain amount of assets that makes it permissible for them to put it on their buy list because then the whole of the UK advisory can use it or whatever it is. Um, I think understand the manager. Remember, this is a people business. Certainly as far as I'm concerned, and building our portfolios from a bottom-up point of view, this is, I buy people. I don't buy things. I buy the quality of the people who I think, we think, have the ability to um, manage our clients' portfolio assets. We are custodians of people's hard-earned savings. That's what we are. We take that very seriously. So we don't just pick any old fund that, that may have a, a great historic track record. Trees don't grow to the sky forever. And I say, do you drive your car home looking only in the rearview mirror? You do not, because you will crash. And yet so many funds are chosen on the basis of their past three or five-year track record. But conditions change and markets change. As Peter Lynch, the great man manager of Fidelity, once said, you just have to be adaptive. And so I think we need to really embrace the person and get to the nub of what they do, how they do it. Um, and often that can be over a number of meetings and not just at the sterile office, but in the pub or wherever mm -hmm. to get the information that we understand how that manager ticks so that we can then better judge, can the performance be repeated? I mean, I remember a fund that we bought in 2008, which has been gone on to be the number one income fund since that point. Um, it was absolutely fourth quarter when we bought it. But we knew the manager over a number of prior years. So we bought it with confidence when it was fourth quartile, and it's now number one since we bought it. It's a small fund. It's only 650 million quid today. And it's been an outstanding performer for us. So you know, I think understand the people, and you've got a good chance of doing well long term. Mm -hmm. Are there any no-goes in terms of character traits that fund managers have? Because I know that some don't like arrogance or with boutiques, for example. I think such a big pitfall that you can experience is when a fund manager was good at managing money, but maybe he's not good at managing people. So are there any no-go zones there? Uh, there's, there's plenty of um, variances in what works, and you just have to judge each one on its own merits or otherwise. Um, I think, I forget who said this now, but um, a good fund manager has got to be, has got to have an edge. They've got to be perhaps a little bit eccentric, a bit different, 
Um, confidence is important in fund management. Being confident about your ability, but not overconfidence, because that can then trip you up. So I think I think it, it's the case that um, really really good fund managers that I've come across. Um, will carry that level of confidence, generally speaking, an ability in themselves or their team or both, belief in what they do, not just ticking boxes, they actually absolutely believe in what they do. But it's got to come with humility because every manager, despite how good they are over time, will have bad periods of performance, fact. And therefore, you have to understand how they react when this happens. When it's happened. And if they act in a positive way, a hum, you know, with some humility about understanding where they went wrong, they become even better in the future because they can re reflect on those prior periods of performance. Those people who say, well, I, it's just because of style, I, I, you know, it's not good enough. You need to have a reflection on the past to become better in the future. Mm -hmm. In terms of the cooperation with analysts, uh, will you pay attention to the, to the dynamics within the team, for example, when you go and visit them on site? Will you talk to analysts separately from a portfolio manager before making the decision? Oh, for sure. That In certain cases, that is very important because you'll often get the, the meeting with the fund manager. You'll see them again and, and maybe again for follow-up meetings over time to watch and judge their performance. And it's very rare that we buy on the first meeting, I would say, mm -hmm. very rare. Um, so the iterative process of meeting and meeting and meeting again, and then of course, meeting the analysts or the number twos, or even the dealer who understands how the manager works, put all the pieces together, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. If you turn a box of jigsaw out on the table, half of the pieces are gonna be face up and half will be face down. You just have to turn all the pieces up together to make a proper picture. And this can be very much the case um, that you're, as long as you get a consistent story from analysts and fund manager about how they're paid, how they find stocks, etc., then you have a good chance of doing quite well. And what I would say is that over time in the past, over many, many years of picking fund managers, um, it is not always the case that the more analysts you have, the better you are. In fact, there's a marginal disutility of that because there's too many competing views and you end up diluting capability. Um, so I think ne neither is one manager on his own or her own mm -hmm. equally a good idea because sometimes we all need something to bounce our ideas off, to check in and make sure we're thinking the right way. So there's no optimum. It's just in each case by case, but I think a number of people working with the manager, all, for want of a better word, feeding out of the same trough. So in that sense, they're all incentivized on what they deliver performance-wise is a very, very potent recipe for performance. Mm -hmm. And if a fund manager is also a CEO of the company, will that be something that you will be a bit worried about? Um, in this, I was gonna say over-regulated world, but I'll be careful. Um, in this regulated world that we live in, it's, it's quite rare for CEOs to be fund managers today, I would say. They used to be. Um, it's less of a problem if you've got a CEO or a CIO who's also running money in a small boutique, because there has to be somebody who has that job, but it's obviously an investment job. It's not a marketing or a regulatory or uh, business-like job. Um, what sort of CEO are we referring to? 
He's an administrative CEO who makes sure all the managers have got all the right equipment and can do their job. Or is it an investment CEO? The problem comes when you've got an investment CEO um, looking after multitudes of teams. Then they can't focus on, and that's a big red flag for us. Don't tend to invest in where a CEO or CIO um, is also running money when they've got a lot of other fun disciplines to, to caretake. What about other red flags? Uh, is there something that is absolutely a no-go for you when picking fund managers? Um, Or do they emerge later down the road? As I would reason? say they tend oh. to emerge, but I think this is where the importance of documentation comes in. Because there have been cases uh, yeah, over the years where managers, I mean, particularly on the question of capacity, when, when a fund might be 250 million, for example, you take the manager, well... What's your capacity? What's your, you know, this is done really well, but how much can you run in the same way to deliver the same alpha? And they'll say, typically, I'm giving it off the top of my head, they'll say oh, about a billion, and it's 250 now, so that's another you know, three, or three times what you've got at the moment. And so you mark that down, and when you get to a billion, it's now 1.3 billion, and you say, well, what was the capacity issue? Oh, well, it's probably three billion. And, and, and as, the, as the bar gets raised, Um, you typically find that performance falls away. It may still be okay. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think capacity is one of the red flags that we would have to say. Um, uh, the, other, the other red flag, I would say, um, is, is really the general conditions of the company. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to be careful here what I say, but I think you, know, you need to have, when you're running investment for for people or funds or whatever, and we're buying those funds. You want to know that, that the time that is being spent on those assets that you're running for your clients or my clients is absolutely run for in the best interests of those clients. Now, nobody's going to say, no, they're not. But when the environment in which a company is operating is challenged, uh, I might use the example of... Um, Uh, a corporate merger, mm. for example, as a, perhaps a good idea, what I'm saying about it, you're getting a huge amount of distraction between uh, the, the acquiring or the acquired company and the people and the personnel, the managers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you typically get two funds and let's say it's Europe and one fund manager is better than the other and they say, right, well, there we are. We've got to merge the teams, integrate the teams, work each other out because we haven't really met them before. Let's see who's best, who we're going to keep, who we're going to let go. So much tension that and results it, it, from that. Tension yeah. and it just disrupts. That's why we have a bias to funds and companies that are perhaps smaller than average. The funds are not themselves on most investment platforms. The managers are unencumbered by distraction. Uh, they're also motivated in the right way, uh, have smaller pools of assets because typically that combination typically, not always, typically leads to better relative performance than the big behemoth where you're big merging a 4 billion fund with a 1.5 billion fund, making it a 5.5 or 6 billion, and you just can't perform anything like what you do. And we just shy away from those funds. We're not interested. Um, and now they may be, the, they, they may be this, the, the safety blanket for some model portfolios. They want big funds. It's not for us, not for us. Find dedicated talent understand it, make sure it's motivated, not running too much money, um, have the right investment culture. Mm -hmm. 
actually culture is very, very important in a business. What is the culture? What is the motivation? Uh, if the culture's not right, people, there's tension, you can pick it up. Mm -hmm. Don't invest. Just don't invest. There's plenty of other good ideas out there. I know that some fund managers have an issue with working for a company that n is not just investment-led, but also does other things on the side. And investment business is part of what it does, but it's not at the core of what it does. So for you as a fund selector, could that be a problem? We like investment purity, mm -hmm. I would say. Uh, we have something going on right now in the markets where uh, some of the aggregators, those fund companies or wealth managers, I could call them. They used to be called regional stockbrokers. They're now wealth managers. And no disrespect to any of them. I'm mm -hmm. not making, I'm judging them. I'm just saying when you're trying to be something different or diversified or it, it tends to compromise returns. And when people get involved in other disciplines other than what their core skill set is, then it's a red flag for us uh, typically. Um, find, dedicate, uh, what I'm interested in is finding outstanding investment talent and using it when I think it's right to use it, uh, or we do. Um, companies that have got a different um, ambition to have different strands of the business, become a wealth manager, and then manage money in your own ACD and bring it in, it, it, it typically, in my view, doesn't tend to work as well. So I'd much rather go out and outsource and find investment purity because I know for a fact, if you buy Findlay Park or Prusik Asian Income, uh, or Prusik for that matter, or um, Edgewood in the States, or Conventum Lyrical, or Heronbridge, or, or Majedi, or you are pound for pound likely to get a much better relative long-term performance because you've sought investment purity. Thank you, Gary, for joining us today. Welcome. Thank you. Mm -hmm.